You're listening to The Cumberland Road, and I'm your host, TJ Melanoski. The following is the faith journey of Savannah Lamb, a student at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. Savannah is a senior who is studying to become a physical therapist. She calls St. Luke Cumberland Presbyterian Church in Nashville her home church, and while at school, she worships at the Beaver Creek Congregation. In our conversation, Savannah shares a turning point in her faith that followed a career-ending basketball injury. She shares the joys and challenges of living her faith as a student, her plans for a career, and hopes for the present and future church. Enjoy this faith conversation with Savannah Lamb. You are attending the University of Tennessee. How far along in school are you, and what are you studying? I'm a senior at the University of Tennessee, majoring in kinesiology for physical therapy, and I'm actually supposed to be graduating in December. All right. So, really close. Congratulations. What's next? Um, so with me graduating in the fall, I'm going to take the spring semester to just work and apply to PT schools. Uh, hopefully I'll get in and start the, the next fall. So, What is your dream position? Do you want to work in a clinic? Do you want to be like a traveling physical therapist, you know, where you go from place to place? What are your plans? What would you like to do? Yeah. Um, ideally right now I've just thought about working in a clinic, um, kind of outpatient, not in a hospital either. Um, I found that that way you get the widest range of clients and patients. Um, cause I like, I enjoy working with athletes and I also enjoy working with the elderly. What did you learn about the human body and our ability to stretch or recover uh, gain muscle? What, what has stuck out so far as you are diving into the physical therapy? I guess the fact that it's so surprising that we think once an injury has occurred, we'll never be able to get back to where we were, or, you know, you're, you don't think your body can do this anymore, but it's crazy to look and see what all you can do to make your body get back and and the limits that you can push it to because you don't think oh there's no way I can do that stretch or a lot of times with the elderly they're like oh I'm too old to to be able to do this and it they're not your body can do so many amazing things how much of it do you think is in our mind i mean i mean obviously we have physical limitations especially in recovery but how much of it is psychological oh I think a lot of it is psychological. Um, we we see athletes especially struggle with the, oh, my body let me down. Like now I'm not playing my sport. I'm not who I'm supposed to be. And so seeing that um, a lot of times get in your head and you're just like, I can't do it anymore. I'm not going to be who I'm supposed to be. And I guess that's also true for the elderly. Um, you know, they're declining in their age. They see all these handicap uh, things that they should 
fall into, you know, they categorize themselves into this. So um, there's a, there's a, a theory that the more you think you can't do something, the more you can't do it. And I absolutely agree with that theory. Yeah. I think if, if I was an athlete and if I was young and I sustained an injury and my identity and maybe like my immediate future was wrapped up in, <clears throat> in that, um, sport or in that thing I was involved in, that would be kind of crushing, um, yeah. for, for me and maybe it is for others. And then for the elderly, the young at heart, I'll say the, the mobility, you know, the loss of mobility. I mean, that's something to fear. I, I would, I would mm -hmm. think. Yeah, for sure. And I've been that athlete. That's kind of what got me into physical therapy. You know, in high school, I played basketball my whole life and then injury after injury, just eventually I wasn't able to play basketball anymore. I was told it's probably best that you don't. <laughs> um, and that's, that's super disheartening and hard to hear. Uh, so yeah, definitely a mental game when it comes to your body for sure. How did you work through that? It was hard. Um, physically I felt that I was okay enough to do everything, you know? Um, cause I would go to PT and I'd come back and most of my injuries were off season. Um, so I was like, I'm, I'm fine. I'm 17 years old, you know, like, let me, let me do this. And it was, it was the summer right before I was starting to get scouted mm -hmm. for college. Um, so it was hard, but you know, my, my family and my friends, um, they definitely surrounded me and helped me get back to the mindset where like, yes, I play basketball and that has been my life. And that is what I wanted to do with my life, but that's not who I am. Mm. And I think that was really like a big turning point in my faith. Not that I believed anymore or that I started going to church more, but the fact that I think I started to see what I was supposed to do and what God was wanting me to do. And that was not basketball <laughs> as hard as that was. <laughs> and that that's not a overnight journey either. That, that takes time. For sure. Um, when you're observing basketball now, um, professionally or through the college level, do you still yearn to get out on the court? Oh, for sure. Um, I watch it all the time and I'm like, man, that could have been me. You know, there's a, there's a girl that plays for UT lady balls and she's about my height does not have much of a tan, just like I, <laughs> and, uh, I'm like, man, that literally could have been me. You know, like I wish that was me, but then I sit here and if I was a, a college athlete, there's no way I'd be able to do all the things that I want to do outside of basketball. Mm -hmm. Like all of the church trips I get to go on all of the time I get to spend with my family. I wouldn't have all of that luxury. So I, I see that, but then I'm reminded that like, no, I'm where I'm supposed to be as much fun as that would be. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I did get the opportunity we have uh, for my major. We have to have four physical education classes. Um, 
And so one of them was basketball. I was like, I'm going to take that, you know, like, <laughs> why not? Right. <laughs> so uh, I get in there and it's a half a semester class. And it's set up at, at first, they kind of see where everybody in the class is because most people have played basketball before, but there might be a few that haven't. Um, and so then they, you know, they give you a few skills and then they set up a tournament and we play tournament style for the rest of the semester. And I did not realize how much I missed basketball until I started taking that class. I had the time of my life and then I broke my pinky and I couldn't play in the tournament. <laughs> so it was just another setback to like, nope, remember you can't play, <laughs> but yeah. I love it still. So did you go full force? I mean, were you like ultra Savannah and took the tournament seriously or did you play laid back and just enjoyed it for what it was? Oh yeah. I, I was definitely taking it seriously. Um, <laughs> I was one of the only girls in the class. So I always take that as a challenge <laughs> to go up against the guys who, you know, Oh, like, you're not on our level or whatever, but so I was, I was going full force and I guess that is why I broke my pinky. Um, <laughs> but. I imagine you as one of those players and you correct me if I'm wrong, just elbows <laughs> flying, aggressive play, <laughs> the palm out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. I, I, uh, I was always raised to, you know, go after the ball, any loose ball, you know, it's, it's yours. Take it. Um, so I guess I am a little aggressive, but <laughs> smart with it too. I don't, with my height, I don't want to, you know, like gouge somebody's eyeball out with my elbow, elbow or <laughs> so. Well, in your practice of physical therapy, and as you're getting closer for that to be a career, do you have the opportunity or have had, or have you had the opportunity to, um, engage in patients in conversation. I mean, is that encouraged as a physical therapist where you get to know the individuals that you're working with, or is it just all kind of about business, uh, you know, like joint movement and rebuilding or regaining muscle and mobility? How do you approach that? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, as important as all of the regaining movement and, you know, muscles and, everything is to patients in, in rehab and recovery. Um, we, we express that and we talk to them about it as much as they're willing to learn about it. Um, mm. but we also definitely create that personal connection. And I think that's one of the things I love most about physical therapy in the medical field, because a lot of times, you know, you go into your doctor's office and it's kind of in and out because they have so many patients to, to see. And a lot of a lot of physical therapy can turn into that, unfortunately. Um, the, the bigger chains and, you know, all these places, they're trying to hit a quota and they can only see a patient for so long. But at the clinic I work at right now, it's privately owned. Um, it's just a, a handful of therapists and a few techs, which is my position. So we're really able to create those bonds and, and get to know our patients and talk to them. And a lot of times, that's sometimes the only interaction some people have every week. You know, they come to therapy three times a week and we're who they get to talk to the most in their week. Um, so I've definitely created some friends around the same age as I am. And then, you know, the adults that are kind of like, 
a parent or a grandparent to me now, you know, that I see all the time. And I'm like, oh, how are you doing this week? How was, you know, that trip that you were going to take on the weekend? You know, so it's a great, uh, a great part of my job is talking and creating those relationships. Does that come easy for you or do you have to be like intentional and kind of think about it ahead of time and plan and work at it? I definitely am a intentional planner <laughs> ahead of time. Everything. I, I was that kid in school that, you know, we would read aloud in elementary school. I would count how many people were ahead of me so I could figure out the <laughs> paragraph that I had to read <laughs> and practice it before it got to me. Um, so, yeah, I'm definitely always thinking like, oh, man, this is so and so. This is what they were doing. This is kind of how they take things. I need to structure what I say this way. Mm -hmm. um, but once I start and I get opened up, it's kind of really easy for me to just pick up however I need to. So. Yeah, kind of like we're doing now. Exactly. Once <laughs> I get opened up, I probably talk way too much. So. <laughs> <laughs> so Savannah, earlier we were talking off mic about an early memory uh, with the faith that you had and you were sharing with me about a camping experience. So do you want to fill me in on the whole story? Absolutely. Um, I grew up raised in the CP church. I was always at church every Sunday, every Wednesday night. Um, both of my aunts were very uh, involved. And so I was always there. I was the kid that was, you could always count on to be there. Um, but the first time that I actually felt a difference between just always being there and and actually being there with God was 2012, the first time I went to Crystal Springs uh, church camp. And I had never been away from home or anything like that. I was going into seventh grade, I guess, going into sixth grade. I don't know, a long time ago. <laughs> um, and I didn't really know anybody outside of my church. I didn't have any friends. I went with the two girls that were always with us and my aunt. And that week at camp, I will always mark as what has forever changed me. Because I created friendships there that have lasted until right now and will last for the rest of my life. Um, that was where I really discovered what it felt like to know God um, instead of just going to church every Sunday because your mom tells you to, you know, I wanted to go. I knew what I was going for. Um, I even found my best friend that I now live with in college who just graduated, Mary Rollman, um, that first week of camp. We just instantly bonded. And that made me want to go back every year. Not only was it you know, the faith aspect, but I had friendships. I had family that I knew were always going to be there for me. It was a safe place I could go. Um, Paul Earhart Brown once described it as a thin place. And I was like, what are you talking about? Camp is definitely thick. It's the middle of summer. Nobody can breathe. <laughs> it's hot. You know, he said, no, a thin place is where it feels like you're so close to God. You can almost just reach across and touch him. And that I thought that was like most the most beautiful description of Crystal Springs ever. Mm -hmm. Because not only is the campground just beautiful and it's a 
a piece of nature where you can just see God's creation, but it's the people there too. Every, every year you go, whether you meet new people or you just hang out with the same people, (laughs) um, you can feel God through them. And, and you know that those are your brothers and sisters in Christ. How did you handle returning home and kind of back to the routine, back to school, back to basketball, back to just the routine of attending church? We often think of those high moments, those thin moments, and then we return to something more familiar and regular, and it's kind of kind of like a crash. Did you experience yeah. that? And if you did, how did you handle it? For sure. Uh, we always refer to it as like returning back to reality, the real world. Mm-hmm. And um, that was the first time I had to do that. It was definitely hard. Um, it's hard every time. But that, that first time you come back and you're like, well, I thought everything was going to be different now. But, you know, everything's supposed to be like it was at camp. And especially as a 12 year old, I mean, <laughs> what do you do? Right. You're going into middle school arguably the most awkward stage of your life (laughs) and then you're like whoa what is happening this disconnect you know has occurred and I guess the way I handled it was um, I tried to incorporate things that we did at camp back into my daily life Um, one of the things that was the easiest to do it was silly but it was just a way to feel like there was a connection there were um, energizers you know what those are where you, <laughs> yeah, you wake up in the morning dancing to silly songs. And so we bring that back to, to my church beach at the time. Um, and we teach them to the other kids that didn't go to camp or, you know, stuff like that. And I was just always talking, talking about it and um, pulling up the pictures and reliving the memories. And I think that helped me transition into it uh, and, and wait the whole year until it happened again. <laughs> It's really tough when you have those experiences, those thin places, and you've changed, and then you go back to the regular or what you call the reality, and the world around you hasn't, but your perspective, you know, you've changed. And that's hard to grapple with, whether you're 12 or 42 or 82 or whatever your age is of reconciling these experiences and how they weigh into uh, the rest of the world. You know, it creates new relationships. It can, it can break existing relationships because Savannah is different and will never be the same. Yeah. What other places where you've had those thin experiences where you felt extremely close to God? Um, One of the other retreat areas that we used to use uh, was Nakomi. And that was, that was another, another place where I felt so close to God. Um, And I think, you know, you can, you can take it back to nature because it was also a beautiful place, but Mm. Once again, I was surrounded by a lot of those same people from the CP church and sometimes on a larger scale because this was, you know, middle school and high school mm-hmm. at the time. So you got to you got to be with your whole youth group and take that there 
for a weekend retreat. Um, and it's just, you feel something different every place you go, like Nakomi or Crystal Springs. Um, but there's also that, that twinge of belonging and familiarity that carry over everywhere. And I think it's just beautiful to see how so many people can come from so many different places into one space, coexist, love each other, and learn about God and their their faith and their journey all at the same time. Um, another one of those places that is that on a much larger scale was Bethel University when we would go for CPYC in the summer. That then you would have 300 people from all over the country, sometimes even from Colombia or Japan. Um, and just to see how they leave everything behind for a week and they come to this one little place in McKenzie, Tennessee. Most <laughs> people don't even know what that is. Um, and just the bonds that you see made there or the bonds that you see that are rekindled, you know, you only see these people once a year, maybe. And it's just like you picked up right where you're left off. It's beautiful. Savannah, you are a statistical oddity. And hear me out, what I mean by that is typically when we graduate high school and go to college, Oftentimes, you know, faith, our Christian faith is, it's there for many, or it's not there at all for some. How did your faith speak to you as you entered, as you entered into uh, college life? For sure. Um, yeah, I think a lot of times you graduate and you leave your youth group and then you kind of don't know what to do now. Um and that was definitely hard leaving my youth group because my youth group was a small, very tight knit family. Mm -hmm. And we'd gone through so many things together. Um, so going from having that group to always fall back on to moving away, to going to college, being around people you don't, you don't know, you don't know what their influences are and um, trying to, to maintain your faith the same way that you did in high school is near impossible. And that's what I was trying to do at first was, you know, do the same things that I did and experience it the same way that I did in high school. But I quickly realized that was not going to work. Um, you have to find something else that works for you while you're in this different stage. And um, the first two years were definitely hard. I went to community college for my first two years. So I didn't quite move away, but other people in our youth group did. And, you know, it just wasn't the same. You, you didn't have that same schedule to where Wednesday nights you're free, you know, Sunday nights you're free. College is different. You have night classes. Sometimes you have a bunch of homework that you can't put off as much as you could in high school. Um, and then the second year of my community college was COVID. <laughs> so that kind of put a, a, a hamper on what I was trying to do. So I guess my, my first year um, going to UT 
was the first time I was really able to to dive into nurturing my faith and continuing my journey. And being with my best friend from church camp definitely helped. Um, but finding a church to go to while you're away, um, that's going to love you and treat you just the same as your home church. That was like the, the gold nugget that I found, you know, that got me through because I, I go to Beaver Creek while I'm up here in Knoxville and they've, you know, not only do they allow us to come in Sunday mornings and, and listen to the sermon, they've really uh, attached to us and let us help in the planning and um, the future of their church, which is amazing that they would even, you know, allow us to come in and do that. So, yeah. I don't think a lot of people realize that when a student graduates from high school and enters into the workforce or goes to college or the armed forces or whatever path that they've chosen, you're essentially leaving your faith community and you have to find another one. And there may be long periods of time where your faith is... I mean, I don't want to say individualistic, but it certainly can be lonely. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah, the community is the biggest part of my faith, I think. Um, so I think it, it was needed for me to discover how to how to search and, and find what worked best for me to create the individual relationship with God that you're talking about. Because mm -hmm. before then, I'd always done it in group settings, you know, so... Um, that was definitely an important part, but it's it's always nice to to find your community. Right. Yeah. To be yourself, uh, to tell jokes and people get it yeah. <laughs> or they forgive you if they don't. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, even our vernacular, even what's important to us or what we might do, like a movie or, you know, a video game or a concert or an event that can skip generations. You know, there's mm -hmm. something about your peers that, um, I don't know, just get you, you know, just yeah. can, it's like a given, you know, you don't have to stop and explain what this movie is and what it means <laughs> and why you right. liked it. <laughs> you know, you, it's easy to slip in and out music. I mean, there's a variety of different things. If you had any advice for just a congregation who have youth and they're graduating from high school or desire to speak to young adults who are in college or in the workforce, um, what would you share with them? What guidance would you give them? I would say just my church has been really good about it. Um, just maintaining that connection to them, letting them know that like you're still family, you know, they just because you're not in the youth group anymore and you're moving away doesn't mean we're going to lose this connection and what you had. You always have a place. Um, I know it's kind of, I guess, not as popular anymore to send mail <laughs> to people but I love getting a handwritten letter or card or, you know, just anything. And if you can't do that, just a text message or whatever, just to let those people know that 
you still remember them. You're still thinking about them. Um, you miss them, whatever the case may be. Mm. Um, I think it's just really important to remind young folk about that because it's easy to to feel like you don't have that um, connection or that that phone to ring anymore uh, when you're when you're moving away and trying to figure it out all on your own. Yeah, just because we we uh, relocate or our schedules change doesn't mm-hmm. mean that we cannot still be, I mean, we can still be connected. Um, just have to be more intentional. For sure. And it might be one-sided for a while. Yeah. You know, you're busy. Your schedule mm-hmm. is dependent upon how the semester plays out, you know, when the classes are available. Yeah. I think that's another important thing to remember on the um, congregation side. They just because they're not there doesn't mean they don't want to be, you know. Um, so don't don't feel like oh well they just completely abandoned us. They don't want to be a part of it anymore. Um, sometimes that may be the case. I don't know. I can't speak for everyone, but I know for for me and my friends is definitely a. We want to be there. We want to be as involved as we can, but um, right now it's just not possible. Right. Your level of participation in giving is different mm-hmm. um, for many reasons. And you specifically, you're in a different time zone than the one <laughs> that you grew up in. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so there's little things like that where I believe we have to, um, for those of us who are not in college, but connected to a congregation of putting ourselves in the shoes of Savannah and many, many others like you and, you know, have tough skin when Savannah doesn't text back for three days or at all, you know, just, you know, you're a busy person and well, like you said, just there are expressions of love and they're received and are reciprocated in different ways. Absolutely. Since we've been talking about people within the church, uh, not in a gossipy way, but just the church in general, (laughs) (laughs) um, who are some folks who've had a great impact on your journey of faith? Oh, gosh. That is a a long (laughs) list that will continue on forever. Um, I'm definitely a people person. I love connections throughout the church, so this could go on forever, but... I think the some of the most important ones, um, obviously my aunts that I were talking about earlier, my aunt Lisa Oliver is a reverend um, in Murfreesboro, and then my other aunt, aunt uh, Beth Oliver, she is the children's minister at my home church, St. Luke in Nashville, and both of them were very dedicated um, as I was growing up and still are today, but especially when I was young and getting into church life and uh, children's uh, group and youth group as I grew up. Um, and they definitely paved the way, I think, for for my faith and my journey. Um, and then I guess I have to acknowledge my first youth uh, minister, my first youth leader, Ian Taylor. <laughs> I would be remiss if I did not talk about him. <laughs> Oh, wow. He did amazing things in my life uh, that I will forever be grateful for. And he still is. He he moved to Brentwood when I was 17, 16. 
and I'm almost 23 now and we still have the same great friendship and connection that we did when I was 15. Um, he's shown me that no matter who you are or what other people think you are, um, you can still have great impacts in the church on kids, on youth, on adults. Um, and it's okay to be, to be silly and childlike sometimes. Uh, he's my constant reminder of that. You don't have to be so serious all the time. Um, and then the women of the church, just in general, Mm -hmm. they have impacted my life beyond measure. Um, especially since I've been getting involved with the CPWM and the women's ministry, countless, countless women, um, from the leaders to the friends I've made to the people that I don't even know who they are, but they're there. They participate. I see their face, you know, and it's a familiar face. Um, all of those people have definitely made a lasting change on my life and my faith. So I've been meaning to ask you this question for a long time. <laughs> you um, were a regular and are a regular attendee to the women's convention, even when you were in high school. What was it about the women's convention that had attracted you at such a young age? Because you could have been at basketball camp. You could have been at church camp. You could have been at home sleeping in till 1030 a.m. I mean, you had plenty of other opportunities and places to be, but yet you chose to go to women's convention on a regular basis. Why? Yeah, well, I'm not going to lie. The first time, my aunt just kind of dragged me along. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, <laughs> all right. So, so year one was not so much of an option. <laughs> right. It was... It was like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll go with you. Because we were both um, delegates for General Assembly that year in Tampa in 2017, I believe. <laughs> um, and so we were both down there together already. And she was like, hey, like, I really want to go over to the women's convention. I haven't been in years. Um, and I want to see, you know, what they're doing, how it's going, see some friends. And I was like. All right. Yeah, sure. I had no idea what women's convention was at that time. Um, but I was like, if it fits into the schedule, I'm down. <laughs> like, okay. Um, but man, that first day, immediately I knew I wanted to come back. And we did. We went back the rest of the week when we could, when we didn't have meetings. Um, and it was just that that sense of connection that I keep coming back to. Um I think is such a big part of the CP church. Immediately, I felt that as a, a 16 year old girl who's never been to convention, never seen most of these people, if not any of them, they all made me feel welcome. They didn't, they didn't like look at me weird or <laughs> not talk to me. They all talked to me. They all introduced themselves. And that was the first week. Uh, of women's convention and then every year i'm like man we got to go back where is it this year you know like <laughs> and it it did it it became a a summer trip that me and my aunt could do together um and so it started in tampa and then we went to oklahoma <laughs> and then we went to 
Alabama and Kentucky and Albuquerque. And now this year we're going to Texas and every year it gets better and better. Um, every year I make a new friendship or build upon a lasting friendship that just reminds me of God's love and God's interconnectivity. Um, and man, they just get me through so much in my life. I have all of these women to fall back on, you know, that I know are there for me no matter what. And they're all over the country. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful. And I think that might be what I love the most and why I keep going back. Well, I'm amazed because I imagine those for that first year or time or two that you went, I mean, you were like the sole representative for your generation, you know, and there was probably at least one, probably multiple generations between you and maybe some of the more older uh, participants at the convention, but that didn't bother you at all. You still hunger to keep going. Yeah, for sure. I think actually I like it more than it bothers me, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been someone who doesn't care about age or the you know generational gaps like you're talking about. Uh, and just creating those those relationships between generations, I think is something that's really important and kind of lacking in the church um, because there is such a divide between the ages of participation. Um, there's there's not many my age and that's what we're really trying to 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 generate is more young women involved and i think the first step of that is making those connections between the generations and showing others that it's not hard and it's just as great as any other relationship right cuz you're a woman too and yeah you might represent or be like a daughter or a granddaughter or maybe even a great granddaughter. But yet there, there's more to it than that. You are a, another woman in ministry among many women. And that's pretty, pretty amazing. We were talking about convention and, um, there was a recent convention that's pretty significant to you. Um, it was a women's convention of 2021. You were telling me, so what made that one special? Yeah, for sure. Or or memorable. It was both special and memorable. Uh, It started off being special by, it was the first convention back after COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, So we've had two years between seeing all these people and getting together. And of course it was hard um, trying to navigate through the the masks and the distancing still because COVID was still very real and um, at that time and this the year before that I had been asked when it was planned for 2020 to speak at women's convention and even though I don't like speaking in front of people I also don't like telling people no <laughs> <laughs> so I said yes and I agreed. Um, when COVID rolled around, I was like, oh man, yeah, I got out of speaking, you know, <laughs> past that one. No, they, they remembered that they had asked me the year before. So they asked me again <laughs> and I was like, yes, absolutely. I'll still do it. <clears throat> so all week 
is leading up to, to Wednesday is when I spoke um, every morning and all day long. It's just reconnecting, seeing faces again, you know, worshiping with your your people. And then every night I was so nervous and so worried <laughs> about having to speak on Wednesday. And it was the cycle, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, just like that. Even Wednesday morning, I was shaking in my boots. I wasn't wearing any boots, but I was shaking in them. <laughs> <laughs> And everybody's like, oh, Savannah, don't worry about it. You know, they, what, what they always say, they're trying to calm me down. I'm like, yeah, 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 I'll do great. I know, whatever. And so I get up there. And the moment that you get up there, you think that's when you'll be the most nervous because you look out and you see a hundred women sitting out there staring at you. Um, and they're all, most of them, older than you. <laughs> And they have more prestige and all of these um, more important titles, you know, that you you think in your head and it all gets to you. But this time was different. I got up there and immediately all of my nerves and anxieties went away. And I just felt peace over me. And that was the first time I've ever experienced that, um, especially on that scale. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I was just able to speak freely and God was able to speak through me and what I had written and some of what I even hadn't written just came out. And it, I thought it went great. I loved it. It was, like I said, one of my favorite memories from convention and the, the after effects of that so many people coming up to you and you know congratulating you and thanking you for for what you said and I was like oh well like of course you know you don't know the the impact that it had on somebody and so to get that feedback was very reassuring and just eye-opening to what God can do through you when you let him (laughs) and so getting up there that that Wednesday morning was one of the most pivotal moments um, in my faith and just within myself too, knowing that I can do it, you know, I'm, I'm qualified just as anybody else is. Mm-hmm. Now I still get nervous before things, um, <laughs> for sure, but I'm often reminded of, of that day and the peace that I felt. And people ask me, why was that different than any other time? And I was like, at first I was like, I have no idea. I, it was a freak accident. <laughs> I don't know what happened. But I think back on it and I realize it was seeing the faces of all of those women that I have come to know over the years since I was 16. Um, my best friend was out there. My aunt was out there. Friends I'd made along the way that that treat me like I'm their daughter or like I'm their best friend that when they see me every every year and knowing they were there for me and that I I was safe. I think was the the biggest thing for me. I was going to ask you, how is this different than playing basketball in front of hundreds and even thousands of people? Yeah, it definitely is different. And I do get nervous when I play basketball in front of people, Mm -hmm. but it's definitely a different type of nervous. Um, I think a big part of it is, I know basketball was one of my strengths Mm -hmm. and I knew 
that I could do it. I knew what it took for me to do it. But I've always been self-conscious when it came to speaking. Um, so I guess the difference was like, I knew I could perform and I knew I could play the game that I loved. Um, but talking is something that, you know, more esteemed colleagues do in front of, <laughs> in front of others. Yeah. They use all these big fancy words and, <laughs> and quotes from these fancy people that I don't know. <laughs> um, so I guess that was just always a worry of mine. I didn't have to worry about that in basketball because I knew, I knew what I was doing. Yeah. And, and it was more for entertainment than for knowledge gaining, you know? <laughs> yeah. You were sharing in a different way for sure. Um, Skill set. Do you remember what you spoke on at convention? Yeah. So convention's theme that year was um, rise up. And the, the theme verse was, I can't remember the, the title of the verse, but um, rising up on wings of eagles. So I, I basically um, just made my entire message about that. And I talked about um, how eagles rise up over the storm and they fly up there. They're the, one of the only birds to do so. And they wait out the storm above it. Um, and so I, I basically just connected us to eagles and all of the storms and and hard trials that, that we face and obstacles um, that we have to maneuver through life and especially with COVID. So it was really easy to incorporate COVID with that, um, that year. So it was, it was, it was about finding the, the strength and, you know, leaning on God to be able to get through our storms. Well, speaking of strengths, Let's talk about the church and what do you think some of our strengths are as a church in 2023? And also coupled with that is where do you think some of our weaknesses are that we could work on and do better at? For sure. Um, I think one of the, the things I keep coming back to during this, this uh, conversation with you is the connectivity of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. I was asked not long ago to define what it is to be a CP. And I said that we have no borders. Mm. You know, our connections and our relationships are across the, the world, really. Um, and so I think we're, we're doing really great on that front. We, we have a lot of different camps and retreats and days where we can all come together to work on something, whether that be like a mission trip or working to uh, fix up camp after it's been, you know, a storm has come through or something, mm -hmm. um, or whether that be camp or convention where we come together to, to worship and fellowship. I think we're doing great on that. Um, on the other hand, I think the um, connections between generations like you were talking about is is lacking a little bit um and it's not for want i talk to anybody in the church whether they're two generations above me or two generations below me <laughs> and they all want to be 
together and they all want to increase our numbers um, and have more young people in the church and, and, and all this stuff. But I think that the issue is actually making that happen. Um, we haven't quite figured that out yet. And it, unfortunately, it's a two-way street, you know, so we have we have to make some compromises. And a big part of that is change. Mm -hmm. I'll be the first one to tell you, I hate change. <laughs> <laughs> and that's very CP of me, as my friends would say. <laughs> um, but it's definitely needed when everything around us is changing. We, we have to change some things. And I, I don't I don't want to stray away from the the traditions of our church because that's what I love most. Mm -hmm. um, but making some accommodations for others to feel welcome, I think, is is a big step that we need to take. Um, and I think that'll help increase our numbers with with younger people and younger women and all of that in the church. Savannah, wood books, movies, pieces of art music that speaks to your faith, that's encouraged you along the way, and that you enjoy? Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I don't read that much. Uh, <laughs> I would love to. I want to love reading, but mm. I don't. <laughs> so I'm trying to to become better at that. Um, but well, I do. We, I you're, at a you're at a place where what you what you read is often required yeah. and you know, there's, there's always a human resistance of like, I don't, I don't want to because I've been told or mm -hmm. I have to, you know, to study or to pass this test or whatever. Um, I hope, I hope you get to a place soon, really, because you'll be graduating soon yeah. that uh, you'll be able to pick up something um, and enjoy it for what it, is what it offers, whether it's a novel Absolutely. or a textbook. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, but I do love music and music has been one of the things that is, you know, it's the given that you were talking about earlier with, with your community that they just instantly know what time you're referring to or something. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just, it's, it's a memory holder for me. Um, remember that time that uh, that song was playing and oh yeah, yeah. We go back on this whole yeah. story. Um, and a lot of that is worship music for me. Um, whether it be hymns or the more contemporary music. I love older hymns. Um, Blessed Assurance is my favorite. And, mm. uh, well, Blessed Assurance and the Old Rugged Cross. I, I will say the Old Rugged Cross is my favorite. Um, <laughs> but the contemporary music is is beautiful too. Um, I remember, I guess I would have to say the, the most impactful one for me and my friend group was Oceans, My Feet Will Rise, or My Faith Will Rise. Um, that song is beautiful and it's heavy at times um, because it kind of pulls on, on those places in your heart and your mind that, you know, Oh man, I, I try to hide that away a lot of times. Um, but I remember one year at camp, my aunt was, was speaking that night and she's a very emotional speaker. I don't know if you've ever, ever listened <laughs> to her, but man, she'll get everything going in yet, you know? <laughs> and for whatever reason that night was was no different um and we sang oceans afterwards 
I'm telling you, the entire camp was in this chapel at Crystal Springs. Not a dry eye in, in the place. And th so that is the song that that always is emotional for me and, and brings back those memories. And I really feel connected to God when I listen to that song. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, uh, at convention, Sarah Holland, who's one of my best friends um, that I've created a relationship through convention, she led the music in Oklahoma. And that was one of the first times that I had felt so moved by music that I actually went up and talked to the music leader. I did not know her before then. Mm. And so afterwards I waited until everybody was gone and I went and talked to her. And I was like, man, like that song was beautiful and you did a great job with it. And that just sparked our entire friendship. Um, and that was 2018 and we're even closer today you know um so i think music can be just something that you have in the background like oh i love listening to music but also it's so much more than that um and i think those two represent what music is to me one more question you are one of the first maybe you are the first you can tell me of the young young woman ambassador for the Cumberland Presbyterian Women's Ministry Convention. Looking in the future, way out in the future, what would you like that role to be? Yeah, so I am one of the, the first two um, young women ambassadors that we have. Me and my best friend, Mary, that I've talked about. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, the dynamic we, duo. Absolutely. And, uh, <laughs> so we have conjoined on, on this and it's been it's been an adventure trying to you know figure out exactly what it's supposed to be what we're supposed to do um ideally we're just there to represent our generation be a voice for younger women and um we plan convention we we help uh create some of our bylaws that we have um or change them to more adequate, adequately fit um, where we are today in the church. And so in the future, I guess, looking, looking out, I just want that to be a role that's not like, oh, I love that you're incorporating the young women and you gave them this, you know, this place to be on the, on the committee, because that's not what it is at all. It's, um, we are every bit as important and a part of the committee as any other member. Um, and I want it to be a role that helps young women transition from high school, going into college and still being able to be a part of a faith community. That's, I think that's the biggest thing for me. Um, help them get in, acquainted with and involved with convention. Um, and, and hopefully having those two YWAs, as we call them, will spread out more and, and create more inclusion for young women in convention. And maybe someday there won't even be a need because it will be diverse enough age-wise. 
Absolutely. That you won't have to signify a specific age group. Although young woman ambassador could be interpreted very widely. So yeah, you know, <laughs> yes, <defi> absolutely. <laughs> define young. <laughs> <laughs> right. For sure. Yeah. I think that would be the ultimate goal. Uh, TJ would be to not even need to, to label it as young women, you know, that'd be great. Savannah, thank you so, so much for your time and being open and, and risking and sharing your faith and sharing laughter and, and just being vulnerable. It, it, I know it's uh, asking a lot and thank you for sharing this morning and as you've wrapped up your semester and I hope you have a good rest of the, the summer and best wishes in physical therapy. Thank you so much, TJ. I loved, loved being on here with you today. I hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Cumberland Road. If so, share this podcast with family and friends. Looking into the future, I will continue to work hard on both my hosting skills and my listening skills with each new guest. At the time of this recording, we were in the season of Pentecost. And Savannah mentioned the power of hymns, both old and new. So I will close this episode by reading the last verse of a song called Spirit, inspired by the writings of the prophet Joel. You call from tomorrow. You break ancient schemes. From the bondage of sorrow, the captives dream dreams. Our women see visions. Our men clear their eyes. With bold new decisions, your people arise.